Well, hello. Welcome back to the Through the Psalms podcast. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about Psalm 25. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you all to email me your favorite psalm or any questions you have about the psalms, and I'll try to talk about that on the next episode of this podcast. Uh, My email is allthingsnew at gmail.com. That's A-L-L-T-H-I-N-G s n e w at gmail dot com so if you want to email me again your favorite psalm that you have or maybe you just have a question about the psalms or a particular psalm i'd love to talk about that on the next uh, episode also i want to remind you if you can uh, please leave me a review on whatever uh, podcast app you're listening to this on whether it be Apple Podcast, Anchor, Spotify, or a different one. Uh, when you leave a review, it helps, uh, it helps the podcast out, and also it helps uh, the podcast to reach more people. Um, so I appreciate it if you guys do that. And I just wanted to say again, thank you for listening. And uh, again, like I said before, today we're going to be talking about Psalm 25. And this is one of my personal favorites. Um, I have several uh, favorite psalms. I, I tried to think of my top ten favorite psalms, and and this is one of them. Uh, I also like Psalm twenty three. Uh, I like Psalm thirty two. I like Psalm thirty four. Uh, psalm forty. Um, psalm fifty one is one of my favorites. Uh, psalm ninety one. Uh, psalm one hundred three. I love that one. Uh, Psalm 107 and Psalm 126. So those are my top 10 favorite, if you include this one, Psalm 25. And, um, you know, everybody has their own personal favorites, but I love all of them. But those are the ones that I really go back to again and again. And uh, this is a Psalm of David. The superscription says that. And the classification for Psalm 25 is a lament psalm. And again, if you remember, a lament psalm is one in which it contains a plea to God for deliverance. And so this psalm uh, does that as David is praying to God for help and and mercy and deliverance. Uh, This psalm is about several different things. It's uh, basically a prayer of David to God. And he's praying about uh, his enemies. He's praying for mercy uh, and forgiveness. He's praying for guidance and direction. And uh, and so those are the main things that he's praying for in this psalm. Um, you know, the Life Application Study Bible says that there are 72 psalms in the Psalter about enemies. And we've seen that just in the 25 Psalms or 24 up to this point that we've done. We've seen over and over again how David references his enemies in the Psalms. And and so that's a common theme throughout the book of Psalms is uh, asking God for help in dealing with one's enemies. And so that's the case in this one as well. But 72 different Psalms talk about uh, enemies. Now this Psalm is a little difficult to outline, uh, but generally speaking, uh, verses 1 through 7 
are David praying to God for help with his enemies, uh, praying for mercy, and praying uh, for guidance and direction. And then verses 8 through 15, uh, he has what Spurgeon calls a meditation, where he kind of meditates upon God and his character, and he describes God and how he is. Uh, except for verse 11, where that's kind of another prayer, asking God for um, forgiveness and pardon for his sins. So 8 through 15 is that meditation upon God's character. And then verses 16 through 22 is another prayer of David where he's just continually asking God for uh, deliverance and mercy uh, in dealing with the circumstances and the enemies that he faces. And it closes with, you know, verse 22 where he uh, asks God for help for Israel. And asks God, he asks God to redeem Israel out of all his troubles. So that's the basic outline of the psalm. Um, now this psalm is an acrostic psalm. And if you remember, we talked about before, an acrostic psalm is one in which the uh, first letter of each line uh, begins with one of the letters from the Hebrew alphabet. So you can't really see this in English, but if you looked at it in Hebrew, you would see that each line begins with a Hebrew letter, and except there is one Hebrew letter that it doesn't include. So, uh, but uh, but so it doesn't have. It's not a perfectly acrostic psalm because it does leave one Hebrew letter out. Uh, but it is an acrostic. It is considered an acrostic psalm. Uh, if you remember Psalm one nineteen, I think we may have mentioned that. Uh, that is probably the most famous uh, acrostic psalm. Now, as far as the occasion for this psalm, it doesn't really tell us when David wrote this, but we can uh, make an educated guess that this was probably uh, later in his life because he uh, asked God to not remember the sins of his youth. So it's, a, it's like he's looking back when he was younger. And um, he uh, is probably, it's likely that he may have been going through the time where Absalom was... Uh, trying to steal his throne and and he had to flee Jerusalem because he's talking about his enemies and uh, he's asking for deliverance and and so this is probably later in his life during that time that he that he wrote this um, again we don't know that for sure but that's just kind of based on the content of the psalm an educated guess now according to Wikipedia uh, there was a survey of Dutch reform organists back in May 2000 on what psalm was most popular as far as the ones they sang or played the most in their churches. And in reformed churches, Psalm 25 was the third most sung or played psalm in, the, in their churches. Um, behind uh, Psalm 119 and Psalm 89. So there's some interesting trivia for you. Okay, so with that introduction out of the way, let's go ahead and read Psalm 25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. 
Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. O keep my soul, and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Okay, so let's look at verses 1 and 2 there. David is praying to God, and he lifts up his soul uh, to God in prayer. And there's several verses in this psalm that you can pray yourself. Uh, you can just make the verse a prayer to God in your own life. And oftentimes I'll pray verses 1 and 2 uh, as a prayer to God. So David lifts up his soul to God, and he um, asks that he would not be ashamed and that his enemies would not triumph over him. Um, Charles Spurgeon, in his work on the Psalms, says that true prayer may be described as the soul rising from earth to have fellowship with heaven. It is taking a journey upon Jacob's ladder, leaving our cares and fears at the foot, and meeting with a covenant God at the top. So, once again, a common theme in, in the Psalms, we see the importance of prayer and what a difference it can make in our lives. And we need that daily connection with God through prayer and through His Word. And if we don't have that, we'll be able to tell the difference. And uh, we need to be able to connect with God through prayer like David did. Now, um, in verse 3, he asked that... Um, his enemies would be ashamed. He said, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. And you'll see throughout this psalm, that's a constant refrain that David does not want to be put to shame. Uh, he has faith in God, but he knows that he has these enemies out there that don't have faith in God. And he doesn't want his enemies to gloat over him. Uh, so he's pleading with God that, that God would deliver him, that he would be true to his promises, so that his enemies won't put him to shame. Um, and he talks about those that transgress without cause. Those are the people that should be ashamed, he says. Um, those that don't sin necessarily through infirmity or weakness, but sin just because they're wicked and they live a lifestyle of, of sin and wickedness. 
He says, those are the people that should be ashamed. But he asked God throughout this psalm that he wouldn't be put to shame. Verses 4 and 5, David asked for guidance and direction from the Lord. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. You know, in the book of James, God promises us that if we ask God for wisdom, that he will give it to us. And so we are to seek God for wisdom and direction and guidance. God wants us to come to him for guidance and direction. And that's what David uh, did here. And it should be according to truth. Notice in verse 5, he says, lead me in thy truth. Uh, We live in an age that doesn't put much of an emphasis on truth. In fact, we live in a what's called a postmodern age in which truth is kind of thrown out the window and everything is relative. But God's word is true. God's word is perfect. Uh, God's word is inspired, infallible, and perfect. And there's no errors in it. And so we should seek God's guidance through his word and through his spirit and God's word will guide us in the right direction and show us the way to go. And that's according to truth. That is, that truth is the word of God. The word of God is truth. Uh, Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So Jesus was called the word of God. He was called the truth. And so we are to seek the truth through God's word and, and through Christ. Charles Spurgeon, um, again, I have a quote from him. He says, David knew much, but he felt his ignorance and desired to be still in the Lord's school. Four times over in these two verses, he applies for a scholarship in the College of Grace. And I just like the way he phrases things sometimes. Uh, But... David was humble enough to realize that he needed guidance. And, and that's what it requires, is it requires humility to realize that we don't know everything. God does know everything, and that we need God to show us which way to go. And we need to be humble enough to realize that there are so many things that we don't know. And so we need to seek God's guidance. All right, verses 6 and 7, David prays for mercy uh, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. So he asked God for mercy. He asked that God would not remember the sins of his youth or his transgressions, and that he would remember David according to his mercy and his according to his goodness. Um, Now, this is another prayer that you can pray, verses 6 and 7. You can pray that in your own life. Uh, The verses we read in verses 4 and 5 when David was asking for guidance, those are prayers that we can pray. We can read those verses as prayers to God. And so that's one of the reasons why I love this psalm is that it enriches your prayer life because you can just read the psalm back to God as a prayer. But we see here David asking for mercy from the Lord, and um, he didn't want God to remember uh, 
the sins of his youth. He knew that he had done things in the past that were wrong and sinful, and he's asking God to forget those things and to forgive those things and to have mercy upon him. Um, another Charles Spurgeon quote here. He says, uh, Charles Spurgeon actually quotes from the hymn, uh, When All Thy Mercies, O My God. And that's the name of the hymn. And he quotes and he says, When all thy mercies, O my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with the view, I am lost in wonder, love, and praise. And so we should be uh, grateful, obviously, for God's mercy, but it should cause us to worship him like this hymn talks about that I just read. Uh, It should cause us to reflect upon God and just be uh, overwhelmed with worship and gratitude uh, toward God for the mercy that he's shown us. And notice it mentions um, goodness. He says, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. God uh, is a good God. And uh, the psalm the Psalms have a lot to say about the goodness of God. Uh, at one point, David says in another Psalm, you know, I, w- I, had, I had fainted unless I'd believed to see in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so the goodness of God is what David meditated upon and what kept him going a lot of times, what encouraged him to keep going. So we should meditate upon the mercy and the goodness of the Lord. Okay, in verse, um, well, let me let me read this one more quote from, or another quote from Charles Spurgeon here. Uh, he says, "The world winks at the sins of younger men, and yet they are not so little after all. The bones of our youthful feastings at Satan's table will stick painfully in our throats when we are old men. He who reasons his youth for his unrepentant actions is poisoning his old age." How large a tear may wet this page as some of us reflect upon the past. And then he goes on to say, Nothing but the fullest and clearest pardon will satisfy a thoroughly awakened conscience. David wanted his sins not only forgiven, but forgotten. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. So, you know, he's talking about how we reap what we sow. Uh, People sow their wild oats in their youth, and then we reap that when we get older. And when you're young, you're naive, and you don't realize that you will reap that. But as you get older, you realize you do. And uh, David was experiencing that, and he was asking God for forgiveness and mercy. And so that's a common human problem. Everyone alive deals with that. Uh, as sinners, we're all sinners. Uh, we fall short. And then when we're younger, we don't think about it. But as we get older, we think about the harvest of our bad decisions. And like David, the solution is to look to God for pardon and forgiveness and mercy. And that's what he did. Okay, verses 8 through 10. He in a way, he stops praying directly to God and he starts to meditate and just kind of describe God and talk about different attributes of God. Uh, 
And he, he talks about how good and upright is the Lord, and therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. And so Spurgeon calls this little section a meditation as David reflects upon the character of God and tells us a few things about God. Uh, first of all, that he's good and upright. We know that. We know that God is holy and that he cannot sin. We know that Christ, when he walked this earth, was sinless and perfect. And uh, we know that God's word is perfect and holy. And so we know that, I think, intuitively, that God is good and upright. Uh, but he goes on to say that God teaches sinners. That, you know, he could, God could have a distant, uh, uncaring attitude towards sinners because God is holy. But he doesn't do that. He's willing to condescend to our lowest state. And it says that he will teach sinners in the way. But there's a couple of quali- qualifications for that. It says that he will um, teach the meek. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. That word meek means humble um, or gentle. And so, you know, one of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 5, if I remember correctly, says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And later on, this psalm will talk about, in verse 13, will talk about inheriting the earth. And so... God places a high premium upon meekness, upon humility. Those are the people that he will guide, and those are the people that he will teach and show his way. Uh, Then in verse 10, when it talks about all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. When I read this and I I hear those words mercy and truth, I think about the the balance of those two things. I had a preacher one time teach me that we need to have balance between love and truth. And we don't want to lean too heavily on one side and and be all about truth but have no love or mercy or compassion for people. On the other hand, we don't want to lean all towards the mercy or love side but have no truth. Uh, if we if we lean too far in one direction, we'll go astray. We need both. We need both, you know, love and mercy on one hand and truth on the other hand. And there's a balance there. And so you think about the Lord. He's not just um, all truth and, and judgment. No, he's love, he's compassion, he's merciful. But he's not just all love and mercy either. He's truthful, he's holy, he's righteous. And so there's, you know, both are true about the Lord. He's both merciful and truthful. He's both loving and also just. And so we need to have that balance in our lives as well. Okay, I wanted to read a, a quote from Matthew Henry. Uh, he's a Bible commentator that lived uh, a long time ago. And he says about God's promises, he says, God's promises are here mixed with David's prayers. Many petitions there were in the former part of the psalm, and many uh, we shall find in the latter. And here in the middle of the psalm, he meditates upon the promises. The promises of God are not only the best foundation of prayer, telling us what to pray for, but they are a present answer to prayer. Let the prayer be made according to the promise, and then the promise may be read as 
a return to the prayer. And we are to believe the prayer is heard because the promise will be performed. But in the midst of the promises, we find one petition which seems to come in somewhat abruptly and should have followed upon verse 7. It is verse 11, pardon my iniquity. He enforces this petition with a double plea, for thy name's sake, pardon my iniquity, pardon my iniquity, for it is great, and therefore I am undone, if infinite mercy do not interpose for the pardon of it. I wanted to, to read that because he links the promises of God with David's prayer to God. And that kind of goes along with what I was saying earlier about we can pray this psalm back to God as a prayer. And so oftentimes what we do in prayer is we pray the promises of God. We read about the promises of God in his word, and then we pray that promise back to God um, and meditate upon that promise. And as we read and, and meditate upon that promise, uh, we are encouraged and strengthened. And oftentimes things look a lot more clear or a lot clearer to us after we've meditated upon God's promises. Okay, so let's move on to verse 11. Uh, Matthew Henry mentioned this verse in what I just read. But for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. So that kind of goes back to verses 6 and 7 where he's asking God for mercy and forgiveness. And again, this is another thing that we can pray to God. We can pray this verse as a prayer. Uh, verse 12, uh, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. Uh, so we have a question here, kind of like in, in Psalm 24 in the last episode. You know, we had that question, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? Um, here we have the question, what man is he that feareth the Lord? And so we see the importance of fearing God because he, he talks about how he will teach uh, him in the way that he shall choose. So there's another qualification for who the Lord, whom the Lord teaches. We talked about how we need to be meek in order for God to teach us. We also need to fear God. Uh, you know, the the fear of God is is very important, and it's something that seems to be lacking a lot in our society today. But we need to have a a very a very high view of God, a healthy respect for God. We need to. Uh, realize that he is holy and righteous and he is uh, the sovereign God of the universe. We're just flesh and blood. We're sinners saved by grace. We're dependent upon him for everything that he gives us. We need him every second of every day. Without him, we can do nothing. Uh, so, And we need to have a holy reverence and respect for God. And that's part of fearing God, also recognizing that he has the power over life and death, over heaven and hell. He, can, uh, he has the power to cast people into hell. He has the power over life and death. And so that should put us in fear of God. Now, if we fear God and we're meek before him, then it says that he will teach us and show us what way to go. And it says that the, it talks about how uh, those people will inherit the earth. Um, you go down to verse 13, his soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. Again, that's kind of reminiscent of that beatitude where it says, blessed are the meek for they shall, for they shall inherit the earth. So we see the importance of uh, meekness and fearing God. And God promises to teach 
those kind of people. All right, if you move on to verse 14, it talks about the seeker of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So again, who is he revealing secrets to? Who is he teaching? Those that fear the Lord. And he will show them his covenant. So if we want to get to know God and we want him to teach us, we have to fear him and we need to be meek before him. I was in a Bible study last night and somebody said something really profound. They were talking about pride and they said pride leads to blindness. And it's a simple statement, but if you think about it, it's so true. When we become proud, <clears throat> when we become proud, uh, we become spiritually blind and we can't see the things that God wants to show us. And if we're proud and full of ourselves, he's not going to teach us the things that he would teach a meek person. Uh, you think about the Pharisees. They were, they were proud and they resisted Jesus and they didn't listen to Jesus. Well, their pride led them to become blind. In fact, Jesus even called them blind guides, uh, leading the blind, if I remember correctly. And so that's why it's important that we're meek and humble and that we fear the Lord so that we don't become proud and blind to what God wants to show us and teach us. Uh, God, will, God will reveal himself to those who fear him. Uh, but those that don't fear him, those that are proud uh, and, and those that aren't meek, he's not going to reveal himself and, and to those people. He's not going to teach them uh, the things of the Lord. All right, moving along to verse 15, David says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Uh, we need to have our gaze fixed upon the Lord. We need to look to the Lord and his strength. The, you know, I think it says in another, uh, another psalm. Uh, so we keep our eyes upon the Lord, just like when Peter got out of the boat and he was walking on the water to Jesus as long as he looked to, to Jesus, he was fine. But when he got scared and kind of took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And that's a picture of the importance of keeping our eyes upon Jesus. Uh, David talks about plucking my feet out of the net. Uh, usually when it talks about a net in the Bible, uh, many times, or if not all times, uh, I haven't looked at every instance, but most of the time it seems like it's talking about uh, temptation or sin, net being some kind of snare or uh, trap that sinners get caught in. And David's saying that the Lord will will pluck my feet out of the net, you know. Uh, he will pull me out of the traps and the, the sin and the snares that I've gotten myself into. Um, Charles Spurgeon talks a little bit about this and he says... Um, Saints who have fallen into sin find that the means of their restoration are not always easy to the flesh. The Lord plucks at us sharply to let us feel that sin is an exceeding bitter thing. But what a mercy is here. Believer, be very grateful for it. The Lord will deliver us from the cunning devices of our cruel enemy. And even if through infirmity we have fallen into sin, he will not leave us to be utterly destroyed, but will pluck us out of our dangerous state. Though our feet are in the net... If our eyes are up unto God, mercy certainly will interpose. And so there, he's just talking about how 
even though we get ourselves into trouble sometimes through sin and bad decisions, God pulls us out of that through his mercy. All right, verses 16 through 18. Again, this is another uh, great prayer that you can pray. Uh, I've prayed this before many times. Verses 16 through 18. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. We see that David is in distress and he's asking God to bring him out of it. Um, Again, it doesn't say specifically, you know, what occasion this is, but this does fit well with the time when David was uh, temporarily removed from the throne as Absalom tried to to steal his throne. Because not only is David describing uh, distress and, and these problematic circumstances, but he's also showing signs of guilt. He keeps asking for mercy and forgiveness. So it's as if David is seeing what's happening as kind of a judgment for his sin or a, a result of his sin and and we know that you know when David lost his throne temporarily to Absalom uh, it was a result of his sin with Bathsheba and his and murdering having Uriah murdered and so the emotional aspect of this psalm kind of f- seems to fit with that time in David's life where he, not only is he going through hard times and he has enemies but he feels like it may be his own fault because of his own sin and you can see the guilt. But he's asking God for deliverance and that he would bring him out of his distresses and look upon his affliction and pain and forgive all of his sins. Charles Spurgeon says, When the darkest hour of the night arrives, we may expect the dawn. When the sea is at its lowest ebb, the tide must surely turn. And when our troubles are enlarged to the greatest degree, then we may hopefully pray, O bring thou me out of my distresses. Verses 19 through 20, David continues to talk about his enemies. He says, Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. So you see, once again, David's enemies are coming after him. He asks God for deliverance. He, does, he doesn't want to be put to shame. He doesn't want his enemies to triumph over him. Uh, and we see the key part is that last part where David says, for I put my trust in thee. And that's why David uh, was wise in this case, was he trusted in the Lord for deliverance. Charles Spurgeon says, Noble hearts can brook anything but shame. David was of such a chivalrous spirit that he could endure any torment rather than be put to dishonor. And so you see that throughout this psalm where he does not want to be put to shame. Uh, He does not want his enemies triumph over him, and he's asking God for deliverance from those enemies. All right, verse 21. Uh, This is a wonderful prayer that you can pray. I've prayed this uh, many times as well, and uh, it says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. So just asking God to help us to be people of integrity and uprightness. And you might say, well, why does David pray that right here? Why is it, you know, why does why is this verse where it is? And, you know, he's thinking about his enemies and how they're out to get him. He wants to make sure that, uh, he knows his enemies are watching him. He wants to make sure that he doesn't give them any ammunition. He wants to make sure that 
he doesn't defeat himself because he knows if he slips and makes a mistake that they're going to take advantage of that and use that against him. And so he's praying uh, that he would be a man of integrity so that his enemies would have nothing to use against him. And he talks about how he is waiting upon God. And then the psalm closes with verse 22. And remember that David, you know, was king of Israel, so he obviously loves Israel. And uh, But again, this fits well with this theory that this may be when Absalom stole his throne because he's asking God to redeem Israel out of all his troubles. Well, obviously, if Absalom is on the throne... Israel is going through a very troublesome time. You know, it's not certain who the king's going to be, and uh, David's enemies seem to be winning, and so he's asking uh, for prayer, not just for himself, but uh, prayer for uh, Israel as well, and that God would deliver Israel and redeem Israel out of all his troubles. And again, this is another prayer that we can pray. Uh, you know, in Genesis, it talks about how God blesses those who bless Israel. And uh, as Christians, we should have a uh, soft spot in our heart for the nation of Israel because we know Israel was God's, they're, they're God, they are God's chosen people. And we also know from the book of Romans that uh, God is not done with Israel, that it, it talks about in the future about uh, national salvation for Israel uh, in the future. And so, we need to love the Jewish people and, and love Israel, and we can pray this prayer just like David did. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. We should long for Israel to come to know the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the book of Romans seems to indicate that that will happen one day uh, before Christ returns to set up his millennial kingdom. All Israel shall be saved, it says in the book of Romans. Well, I hope you enjoyed this psalm. Uh, I know that I did. Um, let's just real quickly talk about the conclusion and what we can learn from this psalm. Uh, we learn about the importance of prayer and trusting in God. Those are constant themes throughout the book of Psalms. Uh, we learn about the mercy of God and, and the forgiveness of God. Uh, we learn about the importance of seeking God's guidance and direction. Uh, we we learn again, like we have in many of the other psalms, that we can pray that God would deliver us from our enemies. Uh, we need to appreciate how uh, we need to fear God and be meek, and that those are the kind of people that God will teach and show His way, those that fear Him and those that are meek. And then at the end there, we learn about the importance of integrity and being upright and people of integrity. Well, that wraps up Psalm 25. Before I let you go, I, I just want to remind you, don't forget to email me your favorite psalm, or if you have any questions about the book of Psalms or a particular psalm, uh, I'll address those emails in a future episode, uh, Lord willing. Also, uh, please remember to leave a review on the app that you listen to this podcast in, whether it be Anchor or Apple Podcast or Spotify or something like that. It helps me and helps this podcast if you leave a review of the podcast. And also, if you enjoy this podcast, please tell a friend or a family member that you know that might be interested in it and help spread the word. 
All right. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm going to close uh, with a uh, a blessing, a priestly benediction that comes from uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 6. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.